Well, good morning. You know, there's a lot of phobias in the world today. Has anyone ever heard of the phobia, guy fear of phobia? Anybody heard of that? Guy fear of phobia? It's the fear of bridges. It's the fear of bridges. I don't know about you, but I'm not scared of bridges. However, I am scared when I was a little boy of one particular bridge. My parents owned a modest lake house when I was growing up, and I was just a little kid. And uh, this particular bridge was basically just a mound of dirt over the water. It separated the lake, and it, it was just wasn't much to it. And I think my father knew that I was scared of this particular bridge because he would drive up to this bridge, and he'd get right up to it. He'd slow down, then he'd gun it all the way across the bridge, and I would hold my breath the whole way. It just scared me. And the reason that I was scared of this bridge is, is our car was this wide, and the bridge was this wide. There wasn't, a lot of, there wasn't a lot of distance. There wasn't a lot of buffer. There wasn't a lot of margin in between the car and the lake. And that's what we're talking about today. We're beginning a series called Margins, where we want to put distance. We want to put uh, buffer. We want to put margin in between us and temptation, us and sin, and us and wrongdoing. Now, next week, we'll be looking at time margin. Now, I don't know about you guys, but how many people here have way too much to do and not enough time to do it? Yeah, most all of us. Most all. What's the one thing that gets squeezed out of that time? Our time with God. Our time with God. So we want to look at how we can build time margins to our schedule to honor God. And in two weeks, we'll be looking at financial margins. Do you know there's only one place in the Bible that God says, test me, and that's in the area of our giving. So we're going to look at how we can honor God with our giving in two weeks. Now today, we're looking at moral margins. Now the problem with moral margins, it doesn't fit this model. Because the moment we try to make it fit this model... It's, it's, it doesn't matter the margin. It doesn't matter the margin. It always comes down to how close can I get to the wrong without crossing the line? How fast can I go down 378 over the speed limit without getting pulled over by Lexington Police Department? Yeah? Five miles? Eight miles? Ten miles? I don't know. Or how much can I take of my friend's paper that he wrote last year and put it in my paper this year and not get caught for plagiarism and receive a bad grade? It all comes down to the old dating adage, how far is too far? How far is too far? This makes a little sense. This just makes a little sense. I recently read an article about snakes. And just for the record, I hate snakes. I hate big snakes. I hate little snakes. I hate sticks that look like snakes. <laughs> yeah. But I read this article about snakes, and it says that, that a snake can strike twice the distance of the length of its body. I know you're getting trivia today. But it can strike twice the length of its body. So if a snake is three feet long, that means he can strike someone that's about six feet away, right? So if Rocky and I are walking through the woods, and we come upon a snake, and let's just say the snake is three feet long, do you think Rocky and I are going to walk up to the snake and say, hey, Scott, there's a, that snake's three feet long, we're about six and a half feet away, let's see how close we can get to that snake without getting bitten. Well, Rocky might, 
but I'm not. I'm going to run like a little girl. Now, what if we looked at it in a different way? In fact, it needs to be looked at in a different way. It needs to be looked at through the paradigm shoots and ladders. Remember that game, shoots and ladders? You get a little player, you spin a little spinner. At the top of the game is where you win. If you hit a ladder, you get closer to your goal. If you hit a shoot, you go away from your goal. What if I took that game and I tweaked it just a little bit? What about instead of winning the game at the top, we just placed morality up there. At the top of the game is morality. We're talking about moral margins. We're talking about morality. That means that the bottom of the game would be immorality, against morality. And as we play this game of life, we have the choice to either go up the ladder or down the chute. You don't have to do either. Now, if you land on a chute, you don't have to go down. Land on a ladder, you don't have to go up. Choice is yours. It all depends on what direction you're facing, what you're focused on. So if you're looking up, you hit all the ladders and you miss all the shoots. If you're looking down, you hit all the shoots and you miss all the ladders. So the key to this game of morality is which way you're focused, what direction you're facing. Now, let me give you an example. There are three guys. They're all on this big chute, the one in the middle. They all have the same struggles, but different degrees. Now, the first guy, he's at the bottom of the slide. He's at the bottom of the chute. Man, he's blown it up. Everything is damaged. Everything is destroyed. But he has a desire to find God. He says, I need a way to fix this. I may not be able to fix all the damage I've done, but, but, but I want to quit doing the damage. So he's at the bottom of the slide, and he's looking which way? He's looking up. He's looking up to morality. Now, the second guy, he's in the middle of the slide. He says, I know what I'm doing. I know where I'm going. I know you don't think it's right. I know you don't think it's good. But it's not as bad as you think. It's not going to have the consequences that you think. So he's at the middle of the slide. Which way is he looking? Down. Down. The third guy's at the very top of the slide. And he places his toe on the slide. And it feels good. Sin feels good for a season, right? He knows if he goes down that slide, there's going to be consequences. But, boy, that slide feels good. So he's not sure what he's going to do with God. He's not sure what he's going to do with morality. Quiz. Which one is closest to morality? Interestingly enough, it's the one at the bottom of the slide saying he needs it. Certainly not the one in the middle of the slide looking down. And the one at the top of the slide is not sure which way he's going. Moral margin is more about direction than it is distance. Moral margin is about which way you're going than how far you are from it. Now, some of you may be thinking, Scott, so you're telling me that a, that a strong Christian, that a believer, someone that comes to church every single Sunday, maybe even a pastor can have a moral failure? Yes, if you lose your direction, if you lose your focus, you can have a moral failure. So what is morality? Is it something from society? Is it something governmental? Is it within you? Do you inherit it from your parents? Is it religious? 
Is it laws? Is it commandments? You see, if it's any one of those things that may not be enough to keep you off that slide. You see, laws only work if you think you're going to get caught. God defines morality very, very, very differently. Jesus had a, a, these group of people. They called him disciples. In fact, he says they're followers. He says, if you, fo- if you follow me, I will make you fishers of men. You follow me, and I'll, and I'll teach you how to do life differently. And these disciples agree. Now, they have this vision of what Jesus is going to do here on this earth, but it appears that Jesus is veering from this vision. They think he's going to run a kingdom, and now it looks like he's going to die. They're a little scared. They're a little nervous. They're not sure if they want to follow anymore. They're just uncomfortable. Well, Jesus picks up on this, and he, and he addresses the issue in John chapter 14. Now, what I want you to do is just for a minute, I want you to imagine that you are in the midst of these disciples. You are seated with these disciples, and you're listening to Jesus address you. Can you do that for me? Can we do that? Okay. John chapter 14, verse 1. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Hey, guys, I know you're scared. I know you're nervous. I know you don't think this thing's working out, but I just need you to follow me. I want you to trust me. Trust God. We're one and the same. Then he goes a little, he goes a little bizarre here. He says this, my father's house has many rooms. Now, Jesus isn't talking about Joseph, the father who raised him, his adopted stepfather. He's talking about God the Father who doesn't live on this planet. It gets a little weird for these guys. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? Guys, trust me. Didn't I tell you I was going away? You're in. You're going to get there. Get where? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute, Jesus. If you're going to prepare a place for us, that means you're going to leave us. That makes following very, very difficult. Where do we go? Verse 4. And you know the way to the place where I'm going. Now, can you imagine 11 guys, Judas has already left, 11 guys sitting in a circle saying, yep, 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 we got it, Jesus, yep, 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 and they don't have a clue. One of the guys finally speaks up. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Thomas asked a lot of questions, and he gets some great answers. He says, I don't know about the rest of these guys in here, but I don't have a clue. Well, that statement, that comment, that moment causes Jesus Christ to say one of the most profound things in the Bible. Verse 6, Jesus answered, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, on one hand, Jesus just described the gift of salvation. He says, I am the way. You follow me and you'll discover that I'm going to go to a cross. 
I am going to take your sins, past, present, and future. I am going to die on that cross. I'm going to pay the penalty for your sins. I'm going to beat death. I'm going to rise from the grave. I'm going to turn to you and say, here it is, eternal life. It's yours. Take it. It's free. Ultimately, that's what he's describing. Spending eternity with God. But on the other hand, he's talking about morality. When he says, I am the way, he doesn't say, I'm a way. He doesn't say, I'm a possibility. He doesn't say, I hope this thing works out. He says, I am the way. This is it. I am where morality is. And if you follow me, you'll discover that I am the truth. I'm not a truth. I'm not a half-truth. I'm not a possibility. I am the truth. Truth comes from me. What is right, I'm it. Then he says something that unbelievably places this in the category of morality. He says, I am the life. You remember uh, John 10, 10, where he says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full or have it abundantly? Jesus is saying, if you know me, you're going to have a full life. You're going to have abundant life. And people are better off because you walked in to their life. Jesus is morality. It's not, a, it's not rules. It's not regulations. It's a relationship. It's not a list of do's. You got to do this. You got to do this. You got to do this. It's not a list of don'ts. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. It's found in a person. God's moral principles are found in Jesus. Well, that changes everything about the game. That changes everything. At the top of the game is not morality. It's Jesus who is morality. So what do we need to do? It's about the direction you're facing. It's about your focus. Are you following him? If Jesus is over there and I am following Jesus, it doesn't matter about the distance. I am following Jesus. But if Jesus is right here and I'm not following Jesus, it doesn't matter the distance. I'm not following Jesus. Jesus. Again, that's why believers, good Christians, have moral failures because they lose their direction. They lose their focus. Morality is about following Jesus. Can you say that with me? Morality is about following Jesus. You cannot know morality unless you know Jesus Christ. Everything else slides away. From the very beginning of time, God wants to make sure that we understand that. And there was a decision made by the very first people on earth uh, not to follow God. But God loves us so much, he says, hey, I'm going I'm to help you. I'm going to help you follow me. Well, one of those encounters is with Abram. 
We later on get to know him as Abraham, if you read the Bible very much. And God says, I want you to follow me in ways that you've never imagined. Well, the story can be found in Genesis chapter 12. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, your father's household, to a land I will show you. Leave everything you know, leave everything that's comfortable, everything is safe, leave everything that you figured out, leave your protection and follow me. Take your family and everything you own and leave. I will show you. I'm not even going to tell you. I will show you. Then he says, I will make you into a great nation. God, you just said that you want me to leave everything. And I'm feeling really uncomfortable. You said you're going to make me a great nation, but yet we don't have any kids yet. And I'll bless you. And I'll make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. God's promise to him. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That means that you, 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 and me are all blessed because Abram decided to follow God. Abram decided to follow morality. Then he says these remarkable words. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. Abram went as the Lord had told him. Where you go, God, I'll go. If you keep reading the story, he's 75 years old. He is 75 years old when he leaves everything. You know why? Because Abram is searching for the way, the truth, and the life. Abram is longing for morality. He gets it. Shoot, ladder, ladder. Now while Christ is very much alive, he's eternal, he was involved in creation, he's nowhere to be seen at this point. And God says, Abram, I need for you to follow me. Here's what Abram realizes. If God's moral principles are found in Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Therefore, the ongoing pursuit of those principles is crucial. The ongoing pursuit of Him, because it's relational. In the next few weeks, Abram builds these altars, their their memorials. In the next chapters, chapter 12 and 13, he builds three altars, and he actually visits one a second time. Now, at these altars is to remind him of Jesus. He doesn't have people getting together every Sunday like we do today. He doesn't have the Bible. He's the only guy doing this at this point. At these altars, he remembers the promises of God. Hey, don't forget God. Don't forget God. Stay focused on God. Stay focused on God. Because it's all about direction, which way you're facing. 
Now we contrast that with this nephew, Lot, who goes along with him. Now, Lot. That's a strange name. Why would you name your kid Lot? I got a lot of kids and he's one of them. I don't know. We don't know why he went along. There's no indication that he ever built an altar. There's no indication that he ever visited an altar. In fact, there's no indication at this point in his life that he sought God. For whatever reason, Lot, like a lot of us, thought we could do it by ourselves. At a certain point, Lot's sheep and Abram's sheep, they begin to just start running into each other. And the shepherds, they begin to start fighting and things. And, and so Abram goes to Lot and he goes, hey, listen, there's no use in us quarreling. He says, I'll tell you what you do. You pick, you pick one land and I'll pick the other land. You pick one direction and I'll pick the other direction. So, so Lot looks to his east and he sees this well-watered, beautiful green land. Had a couple cities in it. It looked really, really nice. Then he looked to the west, and it was a kind of a desert area. Had a, a couple of oases in it, but wasn't much there. He's a shrewd businessman. He says, I'll, I'll pick the nice area. Now, there's nothing wrong with that decision, except for this. He didn't seek God. He didn't seek morality. The problem is this. Lot will get further and further and further and further and further away from God because it's about direction. And that will create the distance. Now Lot becomes a leader in the city. He becomes very, very fluent in the city. He becomes very, very wealthy. He becomes very, very powerful. Lot, not facing God, is growing in speed and is growing in momentum. While the city is getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And God said, hey, this city's out of control. I'm going to have to destroy it. Well, Abram finds out about it. So Abram goes to God. He says, hey, God, listen. If there's just ten, if there's just ten righteous people in this city, would you spare it? And God says, well, if there's ten righteous people in this city, yeah, I'll spare it. So God sends these angels into the city. And guess what? There weren't ten righteous people in the city. Let me fast forward to chapter 19, verse 15. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife, your two daughters who are here, and you'll be swept away when the city is punished. The angels Told Lot, Lot, God's going to destroy this city. You need to get out of here. Run, run, get out of here. Listen to, what, listen to what Lot does. Verse 16. When he hesitated. Do you remember Abram? God said, leave everything. And what, is, what does he do? He leaves. He just goes. Lot, knowing that death and destruction are headed, what does he do? He hesitates. Shoot. Ladder. Shoot. The men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and his two daughters and led them to safety out of the city. For the Lord 
was merciful to them. Don't ever forget that. God is merciful. Lot had it all. If you keep reading the story, it only gets worse. It doesn't get better, it gets worse. We have to remember, if you're not in pursuit of God, rarely is momentum a good moral indicator. I don't know about you, but most of the people that I know that had a moral failure, probably most people that you know that had a moral failure, had a moral failure at the height of momentum because they thought they could handle this. They thought they got this. So how do we avoid moral failure? One step. Focus on Jesus. It's about direction. It's about which way you're facing. Now I just said that that moral margin is not a, a list of do's or don'ts, and it's not. But I want to give you five Five principles that's going to help you focus on Jesus. Number one, surround yourself with people who are honest and wise. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 33 says, Bad company corrupts good character. It would be pretty difficult to have a significant moral failure when you're hanging out with people that are good, moral people. Moral people that love you enough to put your arm around you when you need it and love you enough to kick you square in the rear end when you need it. Heart check. Who are you hanging out with? Moral? Or immoral? Number two. Avoid living life or living out of a place of exhaustion. Avoid living out of a place of exhaustion. You might be able to relate to this. You work 10, you work 12 hours a day. You come home, you're tired. You get one of your kids. Your spouse takes the other kid. You take them to a dance. You take them to music. You take them to baseball, basketball, football, cheerleading. On the way home, you go through a drive-thru. You eat a McDonald's Happy Meal. You get them home, you help the kids with your homework, you get them bathed, you get them to bed. Man, you're exhausted. You're so tired, you collapse in bed, but you cannot turn it off. So you toss and turn all night long just to get up early in the morning, and it starts all over again. If you're constantly overwhelmed, if you're constantly exhausted, you're opening the door up for a moral failure. Heart check. Are you living out of a place of exhaustion? Do you need to build time into your busy, busy life? You remember the statement, pride goes before the fall. Pride goes before the fall. Number three, be careful of pride. Do you have an attitude that rules don't apply to you? Let me tell you a secret. Every sin, every sin, write this down, every sin starts with pride. Every sin starts with pride. Pride says, I will never fall that way. But what you should be thinking is, 
but for the grace of God, there go I. Lot didn't think he needed God. He thought he could do it on his own. He thought he had everything under control. Do you? Heart check. Do you see yourself as untouchable? In control of your life? Are you prideful? Number four. Set boundaries and do not cross them. Set boundaries and do not cross them. I think you have a kind of a mental picture of what I'm talking about here, don't you? If you don't, let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. I will not go to lunch with anyone alone of the opposite sex. I just won't do it, other than my wife. Regardless, period, I won't do it. I won't go to lunch with anybody of the opposite sex, other than my wife alone. I won't do it. Well, I have this friend... She's a dear, 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 dear friend. She wanted to do something special for me on my birthday. So she calls me up. She says, Scott, I love you so much. I want to, to buy your lunch. Would you like to go to lunch for me? Well, she is a precious, precious, precious lady. She's also in her 80s. But I didn't compromise. I said, hey, I'd love to go to lunch with you. Do you mind if I bring my wife? Heart check. Do you have boundaries placed around you? Are you committed to those boundaries no matter what? The fifth principle and the most important is ask God. Ask God. I don't care how many great friends you have, how many moral friends you have. I don't care how many wonderful, wonderful Christian brothers and sisters you have in your life. Only God can give you the moral margin that you need. Only God. Heart check. Are you going to God each and every day asking for wisdom, asking for protection, asking for guidance every day? Have you lost sight of Jesus? Have you lost sight of morality? Have you lost sight of the way, the truth, and the life? If you're not facing Jesus, you're facing immorality. And you need to face Jesus. How do you do that? I think Abram had a great idea. He built these altars. He built these memorials. He built these to remind him of Jesus. Obviously today we don't build altars. But what we do to remind us of Jesus is we come and, and we fellowship just like we do this morning. We come and hang out with other believers. We study God's word together. We also spend time with God. We spend time with God in prayer. We spend time with God in his word. 15 minutes a day. 15 minutes a day. I know life is, I just don't have time to spend time. It's just, it's just, I'm so busy. Get up 15 minutes earlier every single day. Spend time with God. I met my wife over 30 years ago. Over 30. I know what you're, you're thinking right now. He's not a day over 25. <laughs> you're probably saying that about my wife. 
But I met my wife 30 years ago. And man, when I met her, I wanted to, I wanted to get to know her a little bit better. So what did I do? I spent time with her. I wanted to, to get to know her better. Moral margin is not about rules. It's not about regulations. It's about a relationship. Stay focused on God. Stay focused on how much He loves you. And stay focused on what He's done for you. The most quoted verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. Can you say that with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's how much God loves you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your, your peace and and your joy and the hope we have in you. But Father God, most of all, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Because through him and through him alone, we can experience true joy, true life here on this earth. Plus eternity with you. And Father God, I know in a, in a group this large that there may be people in here that just simply need a reminder. Stay focused on you. Stay focused on you. It's all about direction. Stay focused on the King of Kings. There may be others here that they're on that slide. In fact, they're at the bottom of the slide. And they said, it's just too late for me. I've blown it. I've, 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 I've messed everything up. Nothing's right. Can I tell you, it's never too late to get off that slide. As long as you have a pulse, as long as you have breath in your lungs, it's never too late because, God, you are full of grace and you are full of mercy. For others here, you may be thinking, hey, uh, uh, I, I know about Jesus and I've heard about Jesus, uh, but I'm not sure if I have that relationship you're talking about with Jesus. Well, what does that look like? Well, it's pretty simple. It's profound, but it's very, very simple. It's simply realizing that you are a sinner. God's word's very, very clear that we've all sinned. We've all shot, fallen short of your glory. And we need to ask forgiveness of that sin. Turn away from that sin. We've got to believe that, believe that Jesus Christ left the perfect place, heaven, came to an imperfect world. He lived a perfect life. He took our sins on. He took your sins on. He died on a cross. He beat death. He rose from the grave. We worship a risen Lord. And then we've got to commit our lives to you. We've got to make you a priority in my life, in our lives. God, we just simply got to say, Lord, come into my heart. Come into my life. In fact, I'm going to give you the opportunity. If you, feel, if you feel God tugging at your heart, simply pray this prayer. Pray this prayer silently in your heart. God, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me. I don't want to sin like that anymore. I believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross for my sins. Father God, I want to commit my life to you. 
I'm tired of playing games. I want to give it all to you. Come into my life. Come into my heart. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.